And welcome to the Plant a Trillion Tree podcast. I'm Eva Monheim. And I'm Hal Rosner. We're both certified arborists, credentialed by the International Society of Arboriculture. The purpose of our podcast is to encourage tree planting and proper tree care for our urban forest, which includes neighborhoods, parks, and other open space. We'll also cover the importance of the already existing tree cover and the benefits. So welcome, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Kathy Jentz is editor, publisher, and founder of the Washington Gardener magazine, which is published specifically for the local metro area of Washington, D.C. and its suburbs. The premier issue of the magazine was released in March-April 2005, and this year celebrating its 15th anniversary in publication. The content of the magazine gives real examples that you can use directly in your garden while showing how to stretch garden resources. The articles are peppered with whimsy, with a good sense of humor and wonderment. Currently, Kathy is president of the Silver Spring Garden Club and on the board of several other clubs and organizations. You can read Kathy's work in Washington Examiner and Washington Women in addition to regular guest spots on Channel 9, Channel 4, as well as WTOP, WAMU, and WOWD-LP radio. Kathy is currently the green media columnist for the Mid-Atlantic Grower newspaper, where she does a great deal of hand-holding and coaxing to get independent garden centers, plant breeders, and other horticultural businesses to join the social media revolution to maximize their online brands. Kathy is a lifelong gardener from a family of farmers and dedicated gardeners. Kathy, we are thrilled to have you here to talk about small trees that fit small gardens, a perfect topic for the vast majority of our population who are now living in urban centers. So Kathy, tell us what are some of your favorite trees for small spaces and give us some hints and tips that uh, our listeners would love to hear. Well, my personal favorites are plants that do um, several seasons of interest. So because I'm in a small urban corner myself, I can't just have a tree that, say, flowers one season. I have to have something that has you know, exfoliating bark, um, a cool trunk structure. So I have right now in mind, because I'm looking out my window now at a, a gorgeous crepe myrtle, that that's one of those at least three season, if not four season um, trees that look great in a lot of small space gardens. And of course, with crepe myrtles, there's been so much breeding happening lately that you definitely want to go to a garden center, uh, a local nursery or tree nursery, and pick out one that's an appropriate size for your garden because they do come in dwarf, medium, and then tall. And, of course, you don't want to have to be struggling every year hacking it back, which, you know, has gotten that nickname of crepe murder. Yes. <laughs> it, it won't kill the plants, but, you know, we don't all need to be spending uh, all that time cutting back trees. We should be 
selecting ones that are the appropriate size for the location we'd like to have them in. A great tree, and a lot of research was done right down there, right where you are at the National Arboretum on, um, on crepe myrtles for quite a number of years. I think it was Dr. Creech who who worked there for 40 years, I think it was, who who spent his lifetime working on crepe myrtles. Dr. Margaret Pooler is still continuing that crepe myrtle research and doing some introductions. Yeah, it's a great place to go and visit the U.S. National Arboretum and walk among the crepe myrtle collection, which a lot of it is mixed in with the conifer collection, the dwarf conifer collection. So it's out there in full sun right now. Um, so do definitely bring a, a sun hat when you're out there. We used to have uh, in the Delaware Valley, you know, crepe myrtles would regularly get uh, scorched with some uh, winter injury. I think those days are behind us. Mm -hmm. What can you tell us about how big they get? Some of the the varieties that were um, developed at the Arboretum for, uh, you know, for resistance and for cold hardiness, um, They'll have the Indian tribe, the Native American tribe names like Natchez, Arapaho, um, so those selections. And those can get pretty tall. So some of them are, you know, 25 to 40 foot range at the tallest. Um, But I would think most would hit around the 25 foot range. Um, The newer introductions are some almost shrub size, five to six foot, and on up to about 10 to to 15 feet and those are the, some of the ones that I would consider for a, a small space urban garden right. those have more those have some of the more fun kicky names like there's purple cow there's pinky pig and I'm trialing a few of those and there's also the new um, brilliance lines where they have diamonds or gems in the names and they have darker foliage um, but like a bright colored flower. So instead of the pastel flower with the dark green kind of olive foliage, they have more of a burgundy foliage almost. What color is the one out your window? So the one out my window is the really classic Cherokee, the red. Nice. Like, yeah, that one's really nice. And that's actually the neighbor's yard that I'm looking at. Lucky <laughs> <laughs> you. The borrowed you, so to speak. So that's that's a nice one to have, and I look I look forward to that one every year. And yet there is a cold resistance thing that they will. If it's a really harsh Mid Atlantic winter, they can die back to the ground. Um, but they're almost always root hardy, so you can at least get them to come back as a shrub. You might not get that beautiful exfoliating bark and that really nice sinewy shape can't get it to be perennial every year for you but at least you can enjoy the blossoms every year i think now i think it's the japanese one fairy eye which is um has been crossed with indica that has given the hardiness to our crepe myrtles that are available to us here in in the northeast um and one of the things i wanted to mention was that at the national arboretum in january i went to visit and i was so impressed with just looking at the structure of them in the wintertime and their seed pods that they hold in the wintertime. And so the winter interest is really great on those as well. Just really nice looking. And that's a great point about the seed pods because I do find a lot of people around here create a little busy work for themselves by snipping off those seed pods, you know, in September, October. And unless you find them really offensive looking, which I don't know why you would, 
<laughs> it's really unnecessary because they do shed the seed pods in it. And I've not found them to seed themselves around. No, they don't. They don't. And uh, interesting is Hal and I are both arborists. Um, we cringe when we see uh, things topped and I'm like, that's the last thing you'd want to do with a crepe model because you've, you've spent so much time waiting for it to, to create that wonderful structure and that beautiful bark and those wonderful seed pods uh, that they provide a winter interest in, especially for birds wh where the seeds get eaten and, and uh, it provides a food source. So uh, something to think about. Yeah. Any other uh, any uh, other ones that you can think of that you? Oh yeah, any other ones. But I wonder if there's one more thing about the shape of crepe myrtle is that on Capitol Hill, if you ever want to take a you know walking tour around, there are a few front yards that I guess have benefited from the arboretum's trials back in the '60s, and there's a Natchez that I can't even put my arms around the trunk. <laughs> uh -huh. I'll have to send you a photo sometime on that, but that's, that's how long-lasting they can be and how big they can get eventually. Wow. Um, another another small tree I was going to mention has both the Asian and a native form, which is fringe tree, and that's a beautiful tree to add to your yard. Have done any pruning on those? On the native, very little pruning, uh, very, actually, urban tough, um, surprisingly so. And I agree that the, the, the show of flowers is uh, spectacular, but pretty low maintenance. They uh, relatively small. I, I can only think of times where we, you know, hand pruned out some, some dead stems. Not much more than that. Um, and then that Asian variety, what is it, Rattusis? Yeah, you can have a nice weeping habit. I find it's great for the back of the border or stay next to a water feature. Um, that would be a perfect choice. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I've heard that the native one is being affected by the um, EAB, the, the emerald ash borer that is also... Right. Oh, the, fr um, the fringe, the native fringe tree, yeah. The native fringe tree. Not the not the Asian one, but the native one, unfortunately. So that, that might give you a little bit of pause, but um, hopefully we're starting to win the battle on that. Yeah, I'm hopeful. I've... I've Fingers crossed that maybe EAB has peaked here in Metro mm -hmm. Philly. Do you get a sense of that, Kathy? Yeah, it seems to have slowed down a bit, you know, knock on wood, <laughs> literally. And, and then, of course, everybody's turned their um, interest over to the spotted lanternfly. But it's still something to keep, keep a close eye on. And if you do have a native fringe tree, perhaps already in your garden, just to keep really close tab, make sure. I think uh, Chinese fringe tree also uh, fits the bill as a tough street tree. I, I uh, mm -hmm. in our uh, Gerard Estates neighborhood here in Philly, I saw one growing in in our good old you know three foot by four foot uh, tree pit, and uh, with minimal care, a pretty tough site, and uh, really thriving and doing well. So. Uh, Great to have that discussion. The bark on the the Chinese fringe tree has is a really beautiful, smooth bark until it gets older. Uh, I think it's really amazing. And it Rachusis is the Chinese one, the um, the fringe tree of China. Yeah, Rachusis. Um, and also, if you take a look at the position of the flowers, they're different too. On our native one, yeah. they hang down below 
where the Chinese ones sit above the foliage, which is so attractive. Yeah, that makes them a little more showy, a little more noticeable. And I guess for your listeners who, who might not know the name Fringe Tree or the Latin name, they might they might call it Old Man's Beard. It's one of the names I've heard, heard it called. Okay. Yeah, there's a, and there are also uh, dioecious. So you have male and female in separate trees. The male seems to be showier than the female, but then you don't get the fruit if you want to attract birds. So that's, yeah. that's another thing to think about if you're going to plant them. You, you want to make sure you have a male and female if you want fruit for birds. And I do find that most nurseries, they're, they're trying to usually carry the male variety because most home gardeners just have space for one. And they just want the showy flowers, right? Right. And uh, you have you, you hope you hope that um, if you're a bird watcher, you pick the female. Uh, and I'm I'm wondering. I guess you won't get you won't get any berries, if at all, um, without the male there. So that's something to think about. If you if you if you can get two, get two. <laughs> and if you can get three, it's even better. <laughs> yeah, or co- coordinate with a neighbor. Oh, that's a good idea, too. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, one of the questions that I have for you is how do you encourage people to plant more trees, Kathy? Um, I know you have a magazine and you have your podcast. Um, how, how, do you, how do you encourage your listeners and your readers to plant more trees? Well, on the podcast as well as on our YouTube channel, we do uh, weekly plant profiles. And I definitely try to mix um, a good percentage of woody plants, especially trees, into that mix. Because I do think that a lot of garden magazines or publications, it's perennials, perennials, perennials. And then they'll throw in, a, you know, the occasional flowering shrub like a hydrangea and, you know, a bit on annuals. But it does seem like trees get the short end of the stick, so to speak. Um, so I try to do that. And I also give in-person talks. And one of the talks I give to garden clubs is on my top 10 small trees and large shrubs. And that one's been actually pretty popular. They're very interested in that. And I I find also a lot of interest recently, especially in the last couple of years, on small fruit trees. Um, So having, if you only had space for one or two specimen trees in your garden, um, choosing a fruit tree over a purely ornamental tree. Well, that's a very great, good idea. Um, apricots come to mind when I think of a fruit tree. Um, they're really a beautiful tree for uh, planting mm-hmm. in a small garden. Um, I think also the Asian persimmon is, you know, phenomenally beautiful. And they're hardy and you get fruit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so another question I have for you is what can retailers do to better encourage clients to put plant to, to actually put a small tree in, in their, in their garden? Cause you work with garden centers. Yeah. I think many of them, uh, you, you tend to put the trees at the very, very back of, of your garden center or nursery. So that when you're first walking in, you get, you know, hit with the annual displays or house plants or tropicals. So maybe it would be a good idea to merchandise, um, better by bringing oh, some of the trees, to mix in um, with some of those displays and not have them just always to the back um, and that you have to walk to the far section for anything you want that's larger to maybe even do a demonstration, like put a little ginkgo amongst some shrubs 
and some other things and set up a little vignette of like a townhouse yard. Um, and I think it would be also a great idea. I've seen this done at a couple of our local public gardens where they'll do a townhouse demonstration garden, but also to do even a suggested purchase list. Say you're a first time homeowner and you have a postage stamp garden. Here's what you should buy. One small tree, and here's a list of five to ten um, trees that we recommend. And then three shrubs, and then here's a list of you know ten to twenty shrubs, and twelve um, perennials, and fifteen annuals. It could even be like a formula that you could plug in and say if it's in shade, if it's part shade, if it's part sun or sun. You could have some some of those demonstration lists. I I noticed the local um, water gardening installation was doing those type of prescribed lists. Like you should have one water lily, three floating plants, and five underwater plants. And I was like, that's a great idea <laughs> just to give beginners some framework to start with. Oh, that's a great idea. Hal, what do you think? Well, I'm selfishly crafting a question for Kat because I've been having a lot of trouble with my fig tree. Oh. Oh. But before we go all selfish, um, Eva, I thought we'd tell Kathy about uh, our friends down at Redbud Nurseries who uh, just purchased a native plant uh, nursery, and it's all containers. Uh, had a look at it yes la- uh, last week uh, because they're having quite a bit of problems with uh native plants outgrowing plastic pots. And I'm not an expert in telling you what size the pots are other than you, you know, I'm sure you would know. But um, when you're at garden centers, um, do you see any innovations? Because plastic pots have to go away. Yeah, I am seeing more and more of the bald and burlap. Um, And uh, there's a local uh, nursery, Stedler's, up in Frederick and they have a couple locations and they do a, a great customer service package where they come and plant for you mm-hmm. and then they have like a year or two guarantee if they did the planting for you and I always thought that was a great idea and that gets kind of also over that hurdle sometimes for getting a small tree is transporting it yeah. um, if you're car free like myself or you're you know have a tiny hatchback you're not going to buy a a 15-foot sweet bag magnolia yourself. (laughs) Having it delivered and having it planted for you is is a great service to offer. Have have you seen uh, the cloth bags that they're using, which I think are really great? Mm -hmm. They They almost have, like, straps on the side. Yeah. Or a a forklift maybe to pick it up with. I think those uh, fabric bags are going to continue to evolve. Evidently, the beauty with them is that they... uh, perform the functioning of air pruning. So ah, you know, I'll that uh, contain mm-hmm. and only to find, you know, a uh, rat's nest of uh, circuitous roots. Mm-hmm. But man, if um, if the fabric bags continue to evolve and, and uh, the homeowner doesn't have to contend with all that, that would be a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I was just reading for, um history of American nurseries and and growers and so it was up until maybe like the 40s or 50s where you would just 
take a ride to the country and you would go to somebody who was like a specialist in apple trees, say, and you would just walk down the row and point and say, dig that. And so it was literally dug for you right there because they didn't have plastic pots. They were growing yeah. in the soil. And then it was kind of just dug to order. And I'm like wondering whether we're returning we're more to that. Definitely. Can I tell my favorite old time nursery story real quick? Mm-hmm that I heard, I think this was a, uh, one of the uh, people that worked at Princeton Nurseries, um, that the reason American Elm started out as such a successful early uh, big city street tree is because they transplanted so well as bare root that you could uh, hitch up your horse and yank one out of the woods at just about any size. <laughs> whether it was three inches in diameter or I'm imagining even six or seven and just get it, you know, over to the burgeoning ur- urban center and, and plant it. And uh, also that they, you could load one in Princeton, New Jersey and pack it in with uh, wet hay and ship it to Cleveland or Chicago and it would uh, never miss a beat. So that's very cool. <laughs> trees right there too. Yeah. I have seen people go down the road in a hatchback with a, you know a small tree sticking out the back in the in the wind. Uh, and I always cringe. About that. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I know that they're trying to keep it alive once they get it to the site. But what do you recommend for for wind? Would you like tie up the branches and secure them, or how how do people handle that? Oh, I, I absolutely agree. Uh, again, back to Princeton Nurseries, I used to marvel at how the uh, the staff there had all these beautiful techniques for cinching things, cinch, cinch, cinching the crown up with sisal and burlap, so that by the time you're driving down I ninety five, you know that that tree is just perfectly protected and. Uh, yeah, you, it breaks your heart because on a hot, humid day, and you're uh, you've just dropped some serious change on a tree, and, and it's you're really stressing it out for that three and a half mile ride back to your home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's exactly right. They, or they or they recommend covering them if you're taking a lot of them, uh, covering them with tarp. Which brings me to my next question, uh, Kathy. When should homeowners think about planting trees in your area where you are in Washington, D.C., what would you recommend and what do you say in your magazine? Well, I definitely encourage fall um, planting for most woody plants uh, because we, you know, there's obviously Arbor Day in the springtime and that's when the big push is commercially and that's when people are starting to think, of course, hey, this is a great time. I, I want something beautiful flowering. I see my neighbor's dogwood tree looks fantastic. Let me run down to the local garden center and grab one of those. But uh, this year we actually had a spring. <laughs> and it was actually cool and long. And we actually had enough moisture. But normally, for the especially for the D.C. area and a lot of the Northeast, uh, we, we'll almost get skipped by spring. It'll go from March and then we'll have 85, 90 degree days. Um, (laughs) It's it's hard to have like a settling in period. So I would say, you know, August, 
into early September to start thinking about where you would situate your tree and to start researching what you might want and then to go shopping and then plant by, you know, end of September, early October to give it a few months to settle in uh, before the winter time. Oh, that's great. It's really great information. Well, Kathy, I think we're coming up against the clock here, but I am so thrilled that you were able to come and uh, talk with us. Um, I know that you're well-received in Washington, D.C. People listen to your show and read your magazine, which is a really great magazine. If you've never read Washington Gardener, I highly recommend it. And uh, hopefully we can have you back again, Kathy, on our show. Um, And... uh, Wish you a cool rest of the summer. (laughs) Well, thank you. I'd love to come back. And yeah, the shade of the tree is the place to be right now. (laughs) Exactly. Well said, well said, Kathy. It was great to meet you as well. You too. Thank you. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.